Hello, you're listening to Second City Sermons, a ministry of Second City Church in Midtown Harrisburg. This fall, we're in the short yet significant New Testament letter of 1 John. John was writing near the end of the first century to many Christians who were either giving up or being tempted to give up on some of the basics of Christian faith. He responds to this by calling them back to correct doctrine, obedient living, and lively devotion. At its heart, this book is calling us to find our life in the life of the beloved, Jesus. We'd love to meet you, and we hope you'll consider coming and joining us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the heart of Midtown Harrisburg. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope you enjoy this sermon. God bless. Lord, shine your light upon us. Uh, Give us faith and understanding. God, I pray that uh, whether we have been long in the faith, uh, we are uh, seasoned in your ways, or or whether we've just come to an understanding of the goodness of God in Christ, the reality of sin, or would you make these words uh, fresh to us? And more than that, would you make the beauty of God in Christ alive? I hear our prayers, Lord. Amen. All right. Um, the, Robert, or the writer Robert Fulgham, he tells the story of one of his professors when he was in college who um, had, had taught this two-week course on, on Greek culture. The professor's name is Alexander Papaderos. And um, at the end of this, you know, he's asking, he's inviting questions, and they're having this lively discussion. And Fulgham says this, Dr. Papadouris, what is the meaning of life? Which, of course, is a great question. Studying Greek uh, philosophy and Greek culture, a question that that the Greeks long ago were asking. And um, this professor actually pulls out his wallet, and in his wallet, he takes out this little tiny quarter-sized uh, mirror. And he tells the story about this little mirror. He says this, uh, when I was a child, small child during the war, we were very poor and lived in a remote village. And one day on the road, I found the broke, this broken piece of a mirror. And what had clearly happened is that a German motorcycle had actually crashed right in this spot and there was glass all around. And so I tried to collect these pieces of glass and I wanted to put this mirror back together, but I couldn't find them all and I couldn't put it back together. And so I took this this one large piece, and what I did is I ground it against a rock because I wanted to have this circular piece that kind of uh, reminded me of this mirror from this motorcycle. And he said, um, I kept this little mirror with me all the time when I was growing up. And I would take it out and I, I would start to play a game with it. What I would do is I would try to find the sun and, and reflect it off this mirror into the darkest sort of place I could find. So if I saw a crevice in like a rock, I would try to figure out how to get the light to shine off of this mirror and then reflect deep as it can get into this crevice. Um, and he said, he, as he actually grew up and he became a man, that he grew to understand that this wasn't just some like child's game that he was doing. It's like, this is actually what I'm supposed to do with my life. I came to understand, he says, that I'm not the light. I'm not the source, but light. Like real truth and understanding and knowledge is there and it is to be reflected into the darkness of the world. I thought that was really beautiful. 
And our text this morning from 1 John in chapter 1 begins like this. This is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him, there's no darkness at all. Now, I want us this morning to consider this idea that God is light, the light of God. But what happens when we consider the light of God is basically we have to actually consider the darkness of sin too. And these things in the Bible are just put often together. They are. Um, But first, let's consider the light of God together, okay? So this is kind of cool. In fact, James was this week, he was uh, recounting for us the days of creation. And uh, the very first day, the very first, uh, almost the very, very first thing that we learn about in the Bible is that there's, it's, the, the world was void and there wasn't anything there. And when God speaks as a reflection of his character, because all creation is a reflection of his character, what's the first thing? Light, the very, very beginning of the Bible, like the, not the first verse, but right there, verse three, the very first chapter of the very first book, God speaks. And the first thing he says is light needs to be here. Now we heard actually from our call to worship in Psalm 104, which is a really beautiful Psalm, that God is covered in light as with a garment. Like that is what he wears. That's sort of his presence when he walks into a place is a shining brightness of light. If you read throughout scripture, what you'll find a lot of times is light is referred to, or, or our salvation and our life are referred to as light. Um, psalm 27, which is a psalm that many of you will be familiar with, tells us this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Uh, psalm 36 tells us this, In your light do we see light. A lot of you know that God's word, the Holy Scriptures are told to us often. They're referred to as light. Let me read a few of those for us. Um, Proverbs 6, 23 tells us this. "For For the commandment is a lamp and you're teaching a light. Uh, Psalm 119, 105, that beautiful uh, chapter. Um, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And of course it is. If God is clothed in light and he speaks and the first thing comes from light, then his word also that he continues to give to his people is this light to guide us. Uh, Psalm 119, 130 says, the unfolding of your words gives light. Uh, Isaiah in chapter 49, one of the great servant Psalms that tells of the great servant, the Lord Jesus, it says this, that the servant was given, will be given to be a light to the nations. And a lot of you know this because we sing the song of Simeon often through Advent and Christmas tide. That Simeon grabs onto that verse in Isaiah 49 and says that that is true in Christ, the great servant who is the light to the nations. And of course, many of you know this that the Gospel of John, written by the same author who wrote 1 John, often speaks about Jesus as the light, right? He's the word that's made flesh and dwells among us. which was actually part of what was being said in verses 1 through 4 of First John chapter 1, right? He's the one who fleshly t- takes on existence, who can be touched and seen and heard. Um, but just like John in, first, uh, in John chapter 1 in the gospel moves from that idea to the idea of light, it also happens here, right? 
Um, the word is the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't overcome it, just like Genesis chapter 1. Um, he's said to be the true light that enlightens everyone. Later on, if you follow John in chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. So, I mean, what you see, if you, what John is saying here in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, that this is the message that we've heard and we proclaim to you that God is light and him is, there's no darkness. This is the consistent message throughout the Bible. And it's just said again and again and again and again. God is light. In him, there's no darkness. God is pure. He's holy and he's righteous. He's as things should be. Nothing is ever hidden from God. And all things are revealed by him. Uh, we could say that God is the source and the essence of truth, of holiness, and righteousness, of goodness, of beauty. These things are found in him perfectly and him alone and, him, and in those things that reflect him as that mirror. In him, you could also put it the other way around. In him, there's no unholiness. There's no unrighteousness. There's no falsehood. There's no evil. This is how God reveals himself again and again and again and again in Holy Scripture. He's different. He's different because actually what we find is that most of us do the exact opposite. We actually want to find the dark place. We actually want to, as Adam and Eve long ago, hide and cover ourselves and say, you can see this and not this. We want to conceal instead of reveal. Light and darkness cannot coexist. Not with the Lord. Where the Lord is, there is light. There's always truth. There's always revealing. That is the ant, 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 uh, ant, antithesis. Is that the right word? The antithesis. It's not basically just said it wrong. Got the wrong emphasis, right? Um, light and darkness cannot coexist. One of the things that I said last week is, is that this little powerful letter of 1 John is speaking to a community, and it's calling them back to the basics of faith. They're questioning things like the incarnation of God. Can God really take flesh in this world? And the thing is, is that it seems as though John's writing near the end of the first century, and maybe some people have just kind of grown old with it. You know, it's just kind of become stale, and maybe it's just not true. Maybe they've gone beyond it in their thinking. And it seems as though one of the things that they've maybe gotten too used to or they want to push to the side is this idea that God is light and our sin is darkness. And as we live in sin, we live against this reality that God is bringing his truth into the world. They've grown tired of this. Um, Paul told us in Ephesians chapter 5 that, this, I'm going to quote this at some, at some length, uh, starting in verse 8, that we were at one time, uh, or at one time we were in darkness, but now we're in light. And he says, walk as children of the light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part 
in the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. I was thinking of how maybe I could illustrate this a little bit. This idea that light exposes darkness. And some of you I know have been to the beach. Maybe you went to the beach this summer. And if you've been to the beach, what I hope you've done is you've gone to the, to the, to the sand, down on the sand on the beach when it's really dark out at night and you've taken a flashlight. And you take this flashlight and you shine it on the beach. And what happens is you all of a sudden see these crabs that are like, ah, got to bury myself. Because they're like, I can't see this light. And I want you to have that picture of like, they just don't exist together, right? They, they cannot exist together. Light and the desire actually to live in this darkness and in this hiding. It can't work together. So chapter 1, verses 4, ended for us last week saying this. That because of the incarnation of God, because Jesus took on flesh and died, rose again to new life. Because he took on flesh and did these things. And took care of sin and the cross and the resurrection. We have fellowship with one another. And with God, the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit. But now he jumps into this idea that there's something that actually breaks fellowship. And that is this idea of living in darkness. So he's saying, he, he jumps from that and he says, God is light. This is what you've heard. It's a consistent message of Holy Scripture. God is light and there's no darkness in him. And now he turns it actually starts to talk about our darkness, okay? So I kind of want to talk about people of darkness, but I don't really think that's actually the right word, but I kind of want to just say, like, it works so you can remember it, you know, God's light and our darkness. Um, what's going on here in some ways is that John is giving his readers, which you remember last week I said is probably a letter that, it was, it's called a general epistle because it went to a lot of different churches probably, instead of like the letter to the Ephesians or the Galatians or something which was specific. Um, so here he's giving them some tests. He's giving them some tests to say, wait, am I someone who is allowing the light to shine on the darkness? Am I, is, am I somebody that is walking in the light? Am I allowing the true light that came in Jesus to shine into the darkness and do its great work in me? And, um, all of these, I want you to notice that all of these tests that he gives speak to this idea of deception, which is absolutely related to the idea of darkness, okay? And each one of these, you'll, I'll point them out to you, each one of these tests begin with this little phrase, if you say, if we say, okay? If we say. So the first test, and I want to say this, this test is just the questioning, is your life marked? By unrighteousness. Listen, okay? So verse 6, there's the phrase, if we say, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Okay, now you need to hear this. What he didn't say is, if you sin, then you don't have fellowship with God. He didn't say that. Um, he didn't say if we sin at all, you know, then you, you're living a lie and you're not practicing the truth. Um, he is saying this, though, that if your life is marked by darkness, 
if it's marked by unrighteousness, then you're living a lie. If your life is actually known for something that is in rebellion against God, clearly in his word, and you think that you're with Jesus and you're living in the light, he's saying it's just not true. If you're practicing a way of being in the world that is antithetical to how God has revealed himself, then why do you think you would have fellowship with the Lord? The Lord in uh, Psalm 51 says that he desires truth in the inward being. He wants truth deep down. He wants truth from our desires. He, want, he desires a heart that's changed, and a heart that is changed always produces a life that is changed. It always does. That does not mean a life that is perfect. Actually, we're going to get to that. It does not mean a life that is perfect. But it does mean that if your pattern of being in the world, if you've made it your habit of sin and actually delighting in it, then just don't lie to yourself that you actually want to be in the light. Um, John 11, verses 9 to 10, it says this, If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. This is Jesus speaking. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. That is our Lord. If you are walking, if you're making your pattern of life, a pattern of sin, you are not in the light. That's what Jesus says and that's what John says right here. So um, let me give you this sort of as a diagnostic because I'm saying that these are tests that he's, he's uh, asking his audience. Is there something that you just never want to bring before the Lord? And maybe actually a good way of asking that is that you never want to bring it before anyone else either. You want it to stay hidden. Uh, is there a sin that you really do keep practicing and maybe others have called you on it? They've said, hey, this is really actually a wrong way of living in the world. Let me show you from Scripture how this is not the way to live into the world. And you're like, you know, I don't, I don't really care. I actually just don't care. Well, okay, thankfully, John gives us antidotes to each of these tests. He does this every time. It's really kind of a cool pattern. So here's what he does. Verse 7, this is his antidote. He says, if we say we have felt, okay, so verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We don't practice the truth. Verse 7, but, but if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Here's the thing. For the most part, why we're hiding is we're like, oh my goodness, what will happen if so-and-so finds out, right? Adam and Eve in the garden again, let's just put ourselves there with them. They do the one thing that God tells them not to do. And what do they do? They're like, you know what? This God spoke all things into being, but we can hide from him. This is a good idea. We'll hide and we'll cover ourselves because maybe he won't find out. Why? Because maybe what they thought was, if he finds out, we're doomed. And yet the Lord has grace upon them, shows them kindness. And what John says is, come on, walk in the light. You'll actually find that as you bring it out, the blood of Jesus cleanses you. You will actually have greater life because you will be washed and you'll be clean 
And you'll find that it's actually so much more life-giving than living in darkness. That's the antidote. Being reminded that the light is actually a way that we can walk in and we can do this because of the blood of Jesus cleansing us. Now, test two. I'm going to call this test, the, um, I'm going to title this, The Temptation to Think That Sin Is No Longer Relevant, okay? Um, so verse eight. If we say, there it is again. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, I will say this, that of these different things, I kind of like this one the most. Because in some ways, I want you to hear, the Lord forgives you. The Lord forgives you so much that you're like, I'm just forgiven completely. Sin has no power, which is totally true. Right? Like, there's this kind of idea that sin's just so gone. Um, I mean, we just read, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Awesome! It's easy then to say we have no sin. We've moved beyond this idea. This is really the temptation. though. We've moved beyond the idea that sin is even that category that we need to talk about. Like stop making good and evil. That just makes people against each other and battles and wars in the world. Why even talk about sin? Or maybe this, and um, I know this is pr- probably true. Maybe some of you have come from sort of like... Um, a tradition where confessing your sin wasn't a weekly thing that you did in a worship service. And maybe you come here and you're like, what? This is just a dour way to begin a worship service. Like, why do we keep confessing our sins? Because Jesus said it was finished on the cross. Why do you make an issue of all of this? Why are we talking about this? What's happening, at least to this audience in, in John's time, and I think this is actually pretty common in our time, where um, they just don't think sin is that relevant. Like, we just don't really need to talk about it. It's either just not really a category that's even worth, like, that's out there, or it's just not helpful, or maybe it makes people feel bad, or we don't want to do that, or something. But John says this, if you don't, if you do that, you're not living in truth. It's just, you're living a lie. Again, um, John 8, the, the Gospel of John 8, 44, actually it says that the devil, of the devil, it says the truth is not in him, of the devil. And John now picks up on the same language and says the truth is not in you. You're living that lie of the devil saying long ago, did God really say this? It's not going to do anything to you. You'll be fine. Give away that idea of rebellion against God as any issue at all. Now, we have the antidote to this, too, and this is really great. Okay, so um, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And again, the word, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the antidote to living this lie is actually regular confession. Regularly saying, Lord, search me and know me. And let me confess my sin. Um, Regularly confess your sins. And it says he's faithful. He's just. He's right in forgiving you your sin. But you've got to be honest before him. Stop living in darkness. Stop living lies. Confess. Be open. Let me suggest this. 
on a Sunday morning, a lot of times when we get together and um, you know we have a liturgist lead us and introducing the confession like Jed did this morning, it just kind of goes fast. And that's partly because, you know, we try to get done by 11.30. And sometimes I get long-winded and it goes longer. But, like, that's what we try to do. Let me encourage you. Take time to contemplate your sin. I mean, take, like, some time, really, to contemplate it. Many of you will remember, actually, the gift that it was in our church seven years ago when we made that cross over there that Ted led us in. And we gave you certain pieces of paper we had tested and we gave you permanent pens, right? Where you actually were instructed to sit with your sin and write it out. And write it out. Now the gift that you were given in that is to see how it's all gone. It's all been dealt with because of Jesus. But it is a gift to you also to confess it. To sit in it. To contemplate it. To lay it before the Lord. Don't brush it aside. Remember that he always forgives you. And so you are invited to a life of honesty instead of what we're told of here, um, that the truth is not in us. All right, the third test. And this is actually, so, so the first one is, the second one is sort of saying that, that sin just isn't a relevant category that we don't, really don't need to talk about very much. But what it says is the truth is not in us if we don't engage with it. Now, the third test actually has to do with denying the truth of God. Okay, verse 10. If we say, by the way, this is kind of a preacher's dream to have three points like this that are like so clear that like, y'all, it's just there. <laughs> if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Okay, um, in some ways this is similar to test two, and it's also kind of similar to test one. Test two, though, like I said, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. Test, the, test three here is actually we're making God out to be a liar. We're like, you're not a truth teller, God. So to say you haven't sinned is to say that God's revelation throughout Holy Scripture is just false. I mean, literally from like Genesis 3 on. All that stuff about sacrifices, all that stuff of the effects of sin leading to things like exile, discipline. You're basically saying all of this that you've given us is just a joke. You're a liar, God. Because the consistent testimony of Holy Scripture is that sin is a real, real problem that creates real distance and real darkness and real harm in this world. And the honest person, when they're confronted with the holiness of God, says, I'm a sinner. Did you think, actually, when we heard that passage from the Gospel of Luke and the calling of the disciples, how odd it was that instead of Peter going like, oh, dude, that was cool, when the two boats are like filled, you know? Because that's sort of what I feel like I would. But Peter actually has the right response. He says, holiness. Something's been brought into the world that is humbling. Lord, I'm a sinner, was his response. Of course, you can think of Isaiah chapter 6, when he's confronted with the holiness of God. He confesses his sin. You make God out to be a liar if you say you haven't sinned. But thankfully, <laughs> there's an antidote again. And again, the antidote is pushing you 
to see what God has done in Christ. Each one does this. Every time John is saying, the thing that, you, that will cure you is by considering Jesus, who cleanses you. Considering Jesus, who because of him, God can be faithful and just and cleanse you. So, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, he'll use that phrase quite a bit, and it's, if you think of how old John was, it was a term of endearment for those who he loved in the churches. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that, that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, notice he's not, he's not saying that it's nothing. He's just saying, be honest. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Again and again and again, each antidote to the problem is look at Jesus. Look at the Lord. He's the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness never overcomes him. Not then, not now. Each one of these tests that John's giving, each one seeks to diminish sin, to deny it, to say that, you know, it it says the truth is not in you or the truth is not in God. It always is diminishing it. And John, in a way, wants you to see that it's so big, but God's grace is so much bigger. It's so much bigger. And one says, uh, we can walk in sin because it's just not that big of a deal. Come on. Another says, um, we know better. And sin's not really control of us, so it's just kind of a relevant thing. Give up the categories. Another says, the Bible doesn't know what it's talking about anyway. It's antique, old, really old. We don't need to have that category and those ideas any longer. We've lived past the enlightenment. All of these, what I'm suggesting to you, make sin to be not a big deal. Make sin to be just not a big deal. Well, if Jesus is the revelation of God, which we just heard in verses 1 through 4, and if he really is the true light that shines in the darkness, he's really the embodiment of the true God whose first act is to make light as a reflection of his being. If this is God who comes in the flesh, and he is, as we have here told us, the propitiation for our sins, which is to say, He's the one who satisfies the very wrath of God against sin. If this is what Jesus does, and this is how bad your sin is, that God has to take on flesh and God himself actually has to die. It's that big of a problem. Then there is no category for diminishing the severity of sin. It just can't exist. If you look at the cross, let's just like look over there for a sec, maybe, this cross, and you think God himself actually has to hang and die and be tortured. Because your sin is that bad. There's no possible way that you can diminish it. 
That's how he ends this section. Saying, you think that God himself has to be a propitiation for sin and you want to diminish it? There's no way that can be something that you can confess. It's a big, big deal. But you have to hear this too. Each time he says, the blood of Jesus cleanses you. You're clean. God's faithful and just to forgive you. I mean, it's just like over and over again. He just wants you to go like, this is so bad. This is so good. It's like this craziness that is so liberating. Friends, that like your sin is so bad that of course you want to just like curl up and hide. You know, like, of course, Adam and Eve want to go, don't see this. Or I don't want to tell anybody this. But he says, I'm telling you, Jesus forgives you. You can confess it. Be children of the light. Shun the darkness. Don't delight in evil and wrongdoing. Don't diminish it. Um, Some of you have read uh, Tish Harrison Warren's little beautiful book, Prayer in the Night. Hope, I hope quite a few of you have read that. Uh, in that book, she uh, talks a little bit about this aphorism that was common in the medieval church. Um, it's this per crucem ad lucem, which is this little phrase that just means through the cross we see light. Through the cross we see light. She says this, God's love is refracted. The great great sun shining down and being scattered. God's love is refracted through the cross, which often makes it hard to see or recognize. But if we're learned, if we learn, if we are learn, if we are to learn to trust, to place the weight of our lives on the love of God. We can only see his love through the cross. Which is to say you will be invited more and more into this life of love and light and honesty. Kind of like what Jed said at the very beginning of our service section. We're invited into this great love of the Trinity. You will be invited into this as you look at the cross. And as you see actually the horrendous nature of your sin and what it demanded of God in Christ. You actually see love grow in you and a desire to live in the light expand as you look and you see how horrendous your sin is, how real it is, and how much it cost the very incarnate God. In the cross, we see the weight of our sin. There's no brushing it off. You could almost say that the light was burned out for you. But the light went to the dark place and the darkness didn't overcome. So if you acknowledge the weight of your sin and the gravity of your sin and the ugliness of it, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> well, you're going to be amazed that in that confession, in that honesty, in that bringing darkness into light, you're not going to be crushed. Because just as it happened in the garden and happened all the way throughout the Testament of Holy Scripture, when we do this, when we come out from our hiding, God says, let me clothe you. 
let me cleanse you. Let me walk with you. And I'm telling you, there is greater freedom and greater delight in the world as you do that. The world will be more beautiful because you've not hidden the darkness. You've not hidden your sin. You've not pushed it down into the cracks and the crevices. But you've let the cross be that refracting object that shines deep down into it. There's one phrase here um, at the end that I've got to speak to a little bit. And um, I think taking all of Scripture together, the best way to understand this, so the first two of chapter two says this, he's the propitiation for our sins, not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. There's a big temptation in the New Testament. Uh, we see a lot of this in the New Testament writers. And um, quite a few scholars think that this is probably in part because this is probably a Jewish community largely that he's writing to, like a lot of Paul's writings, that would have said, you know what, this grace is only for us. This freedom and light, this is only for our community, for the people that look like us and the people that eat like us and all this kind of stuff. And um, John says, no, not, not even close. God's light's going to shine over the whole world. It's bringing light into all the dark places. This is how N.T. Wright says it. He says, just as God didn't remain content to be in fellowship only with his son, but wanted to extend the fellowship of the Trinity to all those who met and believed in Jesus, which is amazing. That's actually what God wants. He's like, I want to, I don't, I'm not content this crazy. I'm not content with just the fellowship of the, of the Father, Son, and Spirit. I want all of you to join in. Just as God wasn't content with that. Um, John is writing this letter so that its readers may come to share in the same divine fellowship. But so now all who know themselves to be forgiven through Jesus' death must look not at, at their own privilege, but at this wider task. God intends to call more and more people into this fellowship. God just wants everybody. <laughs> Stop living in darkness. Confess your sins. Trust in Jesus. And this isn't for some little enclave living in you know, modern day Turkey. It's for the sins of the world. It's for yours. Today. Now. God made his light to shine in the world at the beginning. He shines his brightness most fully in the Lord Jesus. But today we have an invitation for him to shine the light of his brightness into the dark places of your heart, for you to confess, and for you to look at the cross and see the good news of the grace of God in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord, God, would, would you call us out from the darkness, the dark places of our hearts, the places where we're tempted to diminish sin or so we can walk in it because maybe we think it's fun. The places where, we're, where, we, where we want to call you a liar, where your truth is, is not really true. We don't want to actually know that our sin and the sin of the world demanded the very death of God, the very torture of the incarnate Christ. God, would we be a people here at this church that make a big deal of sin, but where the cross is so much bigger, for where sin abounds, grace abounds 
all the more. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. Thank you for listening to Second City Sermons Podcast. We hope this sermon has encouraged you to worship God and to celebrate the gospel of Jesus. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and joining us in person each Sunday at 10 a.m. You can find us online at secondcitychurch.org and on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Thanks again for listening. God bless.